Father, it is such a, a privilege to consider heaven, a time where there will be no more tears, and there will be no more sin, there will be none of mine and none of anybody else's, and that all those relationships that have been broken through death will never have to be broken again. And we can spend our eternities uh, with glad and wholehearted worship to the God who has provided such a grand salvation, a salvation that says it is not based on a human work, that performance is not what's necessary, but that's simply a humble reliance upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That. That is the gospel, a gospel that is solace to the ears of every sinner, a gospel that brings joy to men who and women who understand that their works are as filthy rags before you and that the only way that any of us will ever be set right is through what Christ has done on our behalf. And so, Father, uh, we do indeed enjoy those contemplations of heaven. Our Father, we do want to um, pray for our nation as she pauses tomorrow to remember the, the American laborer and the worker, and I, I do thank you for the grand ethic that this country used to stand for concerning honest work, ethical work, work that was done in honesty and, and with an eye not towards boss but with an eye cut towards God so that we could labor honestly and full of integrity. And I pray, Lord, that you will remind your people that that's what we're working for. We're not working for a paycheck. We're working to bring about redemption to a troubled planet. And I pray that all of, the, all of us who are employed would, would find that you would give us great spheres of influence in the places where we work. And that men and women all around us will see that there is indeed something about, there is something different about the way we work. There's something different about the way we conduct business because we belong to the King of Kings. Our Father, we long to reach this culture and I pray that you will help us do it as we all grow up more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Except these gifts, they are small. But they are statements that we trust you with our financial future and that we think your kingdom is of greater value than of all the stuff that we can collect and pay for. We commit ourselves to sacrificial giving when we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. To Paul's first letter to Timothy up in the back of the New Testament. 1 Timothy. I only, only want to read you one verse. While you're finding that, let me just uh, mention, I, I think you probably got your newsletters and noticed that there is a groundbreaking that's on uh, the horizon. Uh, let's see, three weeks from today. Um, if you're interested in seeing kind of the final rendering of the building, it's in frame for you right over there. And um, we'll have a groundbreaking, and that will mean that this service will move to 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. for that one week. So we're going to try to be out by 10 in here, 
have an hour set aside for a groundbreaking out there, um, and then be back in here for the 11 o'clock service. I want to read you just one verse, and, and I you know, I struggled, not all week, but some of the week, just trying to figure out what would be the best text for what I want to say this morning. Um, what, what would be the thing that, that would, and, and there's just a lot to pick from. And so I've chosen just this one verse, and I, I hope you'll understand by the time we're finished. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5, 17, one verse. Here it goes. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I think most of you already realize that uh, every year uh, in late August, our elders get together for a retreat, a three-day retreat where we try to plan things and correct things and make decisions that will, that will contribute to the ongoing health and prosperity of Gracie Van. <coughs> well, we did that. We did that in August uh, 27, 28, 29, I think, something like that, or in 17, 18, 19. But, um, uh, at those meetings, one of the major discussions that, uh, that we had, and I, and I mean major, we, we spent probably half our time on this, is the role of elders. Um, gang, if you'll notice in our text, there seems to be a distinction that's being made in elders. <coughs> Um, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of doctrine, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. That text right there has been the foundation for people making a distinction in elders. Most churches use this terminology. They are called ruling elders and teaching elders. I, in this setting, would be considered a teaching elder. The elders that you elect would be considered ruling elders. Well, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, we're beginning to think through all of those issues. For instance, the idea of a senior pastor, which I am called, has no biblical warrant to it. You'll find the term pastor used, but you'll not find the term senior pastor. What you'll find is all elders, for instance, Peter, who is considered by some the founding pope, Peter, when he got ready to address elders, addressed them as fellow elders. That all of the elders were elders. Now, they might have different roles to play, but they were nothing more than elders. That is, there is no concept that the New Testament knows anything about, about having a senior pastor. Um, and so the conversation that went on so lengthily was a conversation about what does it mean to rule well? What does it mean in terms of definition of elder to rule well? 
Now, guys, that question took us down many uh, little paths. And one of the paths that we went down was something that we saw as a deficiency here at Gracie Van. Um, it has to do with the way that elders are identified in our church. As you know, September is a month where we uh, nominate elders. Well, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, there was a great deal of concern on the part of our eldership as to how that is done. Now, let me say at this point that um, the eldership here at Gracie Van is committed to, to finding out what the Bible has to say about church government. We don't think we're there yet. And very honestly, don't think we'll ever be there perfectly because nothing is done this side of heaven perfectly. But gang, we are committed to finding out what this book has to say concerning the life and health and leadership of Gracie Van and any church for that matter. We, we realize that, that that will mean that we will always be tweaking things, uh, changing this a bit and getting better at that, so that we can be in line or in, in more line with what the New Testament has to say about a church and how she is to be led. We're trying to find out, ladies and gentlemen, what this book has to say about how to do church. Always praying that God the Holy Spirit would guide us as we attempt to make decisions about what would be best for the flock of God known as Grace Evangelical Church. Now, all of that to say this. Last year, you may remember that um, we didn't do so well in the nominating process. Do you remember? We, um, we ended up with only two nominees, and we had openings for three. So we felt that improvement was needed. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, one of the tweakings, one of the changes that you're going to see around here is happening right now. <laughs> because I am preaching at the request of the elders concerning the biblical qualifications for elder. They've never done that to me. And very frankly, I'm thrilled that they did. My only concern was that it was Labor Day and so many of our flock are going to be at Pickwick. But they said, um, go ahead and do it anyway. So I am here, ladies and gentlemen, hoping to point out for you, before you get this blue card in your hands, I'm going to try and point out for you what the Bible has to say about the qualifications for biblical eldership. And very frankly, it's not easy. Do you know there are 29 items listed in two passages? Now, we have an insert for you, and, and it's going to help you follow this morning. And I hope that you'll get it in your hand, because here it is. And I think you're going to need it because we're going to have to go through this somewhat rapidly. But let me, let me make a, first, a, a couple of preliminary comments before we dive into that. Um, our text this morning, uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, makes a distinction in the role of elders, the role that elders play. Um, and it is on this basis which we've made this distinction between teaching and ruling elders. And the, the, the elders that you elect are all ruling elders. Um, but all of us, 
no matter what our, our function and our role in the Christian church, are to be measured by the same standards. There's not a standard for the guys that you nominate and elect and for the senior pastor. No, no, no. There are a couple of, because we're all elders, there are a couple of passages that point out the standards that are to be observed before these men are put in office. One of them is 1 Timothy 3. The other is Titus 1. And we're going to look at those, however, briefly. But we are all elders with different roles, but equal in responsibility and equal in, um, in demand, or that is, the demand to conform to standards. Gang, all of us, all of the elders at Gracie Van, including me, are to be measured by the standards that you're about to take a look at. Now, there's one other thing that you need to know. Look with me at Titus 1. It's, it's uh, somewhat behind Timothy. You've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Titus 1, I want to show you something real quick. Look at verse 5. Titus 1.5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, I want you to notice the term elders there. Now look over to verse 7 with me real quick. And, and Paul goes on and says, For a bishop must be blameless. Now guys, you have two Greek words there. You have the word in verse 5, presbyteros, which is the term from which we get the English word presbyterian. Then over here in verse 7, you get the term episkopos, or bishop, which is the term from which we get our English word episcopalian, or episcopal. Now, the point is, Paul is making no distinction. Those terms are being used interchangeably between elder and bishop. You see him doing that in this very text. So I don't want you to get confused as we go. You're going to see a word elder here and a bishop up there, but they're the same person. Uh, just perhaps two kind of ways of looking at, their, uh, at who they are. But the standards for bishop are the standards for elder, and the standards for elders are the standards for bishops. I mean, so, don't, so don't get hung up on that. Now, also, I think we're just about ready to, to look at the, at the office and its qualifications, but surely you can see that if you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, there are a bunch of them. 29. On this insert that you have in your hand, there are 29. So my point is, I've tried to group them in a way that would be helpful for you and me in our discussion and would also keep this sermon from being two hours long, and I'm sure you'll appreciate that. Um, and, and I must confess that, that I didn't do this grouping myself. In fact, I'm not real sure where it came from. I think Tom Jordan brought it over here. I'm not real sure, but it was better than the one that I had put together, and so I thought I'd use this one. So we're using this, again, to facilitate our discussion and keep it within decent time frames. So we have to, worry, we have to hurry. If I were to take 29 and speak one minute on each one of them, we still would be here to quarter 11, or quarter to 10. Can't do that, or quarter to whatever. Uh, quarter to 11. Um, so I'm going to go hurriedly, try to keep these things in groups, and I hope that you can follow along with me. Um, these terms, by the way, I think uh, will differ from translation to translation. I think the ones on this sheet are taken from the New American Standard. I think. But I also found some uh, NIV. So don't get tripped over the terms. Your translations might be a little bit different, but the terms uh, are just an effort on the part of a translator to give you the, the idea behind the Greek word. Here we go. Are you ready? First of all, I want you to group those two top um, uh, sections. 
And I'm calling them his relationship, that is an elder's relationship to God and his word. Now you'll notice there's a couple of things in there that you should take note of. First of all, the first thing that is mentioned is devout. My translation, that is the New King James, uses the word holy. The other thing that I want you to see there is that not a new Christian. Because, ladies and gentlemen, nobody should be uh, a young believer who occupies the role of elder. Because there is such a demand for spiritual depth and spiritual maturity. Gang, you cannot expect someone who has been a Christian only a few years even to be ready to, to handle the complex issues, to, 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 to withstand the temptations. Guys, one of the things the text says is there, it would tempt them to pride. What this first section has to do is to, it, with, in terms of elder qualifications is to communicate to you that before you select someone or nominate someone, make sure that there is a degree, a very significant degree of spiritual depth and maturity. They can't be young at this. They've got to have some roots that are sunk down deep into the bedrock of faith. So they are to be men who reflect the nature and the character of God. They must be devout, holy, devoted. And they can't be young at this. They've got to be. Uh, they've got to have some years on them in terms of their their Christian experience. Now, the other thing that I want you to see is I said God's relationship or His relationship to God and to His Word. There is a controversy, not controversial, but a much debated issue in that second section. And number two, apt to teach. Now, does that mean that every elder that you nominate has to be good at teaching? I want to suggest that the answer to that question is no. There is a distinction always made in the gift of teaching and this apt to teach. Gang, if you'll notice the, the other one, if you'll notice the rest of them down there, uh, it'll give you a, a, a bigger picture. That is exhorting in sound doctrine, refuting those who contradict, holding fast the faithful word. The, the point is, guys, if before you nominate someone, you must you must keep in mind. Do they have a, 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 an ability to handle this book in such a way that error can be refuted, Christians can be encouraged, that doctrine can be promoted, and that if uh, heresy arises, they can point you to where the, why the heresy is wrong, and they can answer your questions? It simply is describing someone who has a knowledge of this book, but is so familiar with it, and its truths and its mandates and its precepts, that they can be as beneficial to you as any senior pastor. They have to be well-versed in this book that we so love. He is to be a man who can handle the truth so that answers can be given, error refuted, heresy silenced, encouragements imparted, but not necessarily in a classroom setting. It doesn't mean that he has to have the gift of teaching. In fact, if you'll notice our text, it, it even makes the distinction also, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. There is a distinction made between the gift of teaching and this apt to teach. But what I'm suggesting is they must have a real firm grip on all that this book teaches so that they can impart it to the flock. So, maturity and a thoroughgoing knowledge of God's word. You must have that to qualify for this office. The second category, I, just that third one there, I'm going to talk about it by itself. Kind of his relationship to self. 
The picture here that's given by those five things is a person who is marked by self-control. The Greek word is enkrates, and it appears one time in the, in the New Testament. But, it, but you'll notice number three there is sensible or sober-minded, says the New King James. The, 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 the idea that I think is being conveyed by this third section is that he has an order to his inner life. That is, there are certain disciplines present uh, that give his life structure. One who lives a well-ordered life. There has to be some sensibility, some temperate. You know, notice that, not addicted to wine. The idea is there are, there are controls in his life. There are boundaries, there are disciplines. Because he is a man marked by self-control, by disciplines in his life. Fourthly, or thirdly, I want you to group those next two sections together, and I'm calling them his relationship with others. And guys, uh, his relationship to his family and his relationship to those outside his family. Now, I, I have to pause here long enough to tell you that there are some things in here quite controversial, particularly in the standards for those set in con concerning a man's relationship to his family. Look at number two, husband of one wife. Gang, the Christian community is really divided over that, that characteristic or qualification for elder. Um, and I want you to know that your eldership has read everything. We tried to come up with our own idea uh, of what that husband of one wife meant. It has to do, of course, with the issue of divorce. Now, my personal opinion, my personal opinion is that divorce does not disqualify someone from the office of elder. However, here at Gracie Van, we, we have imposed upon ourselves a stance that I want to take a minute to explain. Um, you and I, you know as well as I, that the Christian family or the family is under attack from numerous sides. So in an effort to communicate how committed we are to the family, we don't want to be seen in any way to encourage divorce. We, we, we know it's not the unpardonable sin and all of that, gang, but we're trying to say we want to support you. We want to say to you, stay in your family. Let's work this out. We will help you. And then they look at us and say, well, some of your elders are divorced. So we have imposed upon ourselves something that we think in, in, in our efforts to say to you and to this community that the nuclear family is something that we are going to defend with our life's blood. And so what we are saying is that every ministry, every uh, function in this church is open to uh, people who have been divorced, except the office of elder. Now, guys, um, all of your gifts can be exercised but because of our concern about this statement in Titus 1.6 and the nuclear family, that is how we understand it here at Gracie Van. The other controversial issue has to do with a man's relationship to his children. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is just as thorny as the issue of divorce. Notice... Um, one who manages his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity, having children who believe, having children not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Um, 
What in the world does all of that mean? I mean, guys, it's difficult to figure out. Okay, what does it mean to manage? And could you, what do you mean by children? Is this uh, zero to five or, uh, you know, uh, is this junior high? What, what, what do you have in mind there? All of those issues impinge upon a right understanding of those, of those requalifications. Now, here's what we've come up with. We feel comfortable in saying that there are injunctions, or that these injunctions apply to anyone who is living under your roof. So if they are still in, under your your care, then all of these things must be true. If they leave your home, we're not... We don't feel you can be disqualified due to their behavior since they left your home. Now, one thing that we, we do love to do, and I've done it on a couple of occasions, I love to go to the children of the men who have been nominated and say to them, or ask them, what do you think about your daddy being an elder? I love to get a hold of an adult child and, and say, tell me, your daddy's been nominated for elder. What do you think? You think he'd make a good elder? And very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I have gotten some mixed responses. But it is so refreshing to hear an adult child say of his daddy, you betcha. He'd make a great elder for Gracie Van. Absolutely. I'm a, I've supported a thousand percent. That's what I think these qualifications. You know, what, what would your children say about you, Daddy? Now, this other portion of this must be, uh, that is, his relationship to those outside his family or with others. Notice these words. I'm in uh, the fifth section down there. Not pugnacious, uncontentious, not self-willed, hospitable, gentle, and just. What kind of picture do you get from all that? Well, let me tell you the one that I get, and, um, and I, it's not comprehensive, but it's, it does give you an idea. Gang, this is describing an angry man, um, an, an unteachable spirit, controversial, a critical spirit, argumentative, quarrelsome. Those men cannot be elders. You know, I, I've, I've said this before, and I hope that you'll kind of write some of this off, just kind of cut it in half. I don't, I don't mean all of it, just kind of think about it a minute. I want to say to people who are um, nominating or who have been nominated, I want to say, I can summarize all of the qualifications for elder in one question. Now, I know I can't do that. I know that's foolishness. But here's what I want to ask somebody. I want to ask them this. Are you happy? Because if they are, it says something about their relationship at home, that how they view their job and their circumstances. They're just settled with the providences of God in their lives. And so, and as such, they don't bring all of that anger. Because, ladies and gentlemen, anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. That's what I think you find there being described is, is people who are just not happy. And then hospitable. It's an interesting word. Um, it's philoxenia or philoxenos. And it means the friend of, uh, or a lover of strangers. You know what xenophobia is, don't you? It's a, it's a, it's a fear of aliens. Well, philoxenos is a lover of strangers. Not necessarily that you're always having people over for supper. But there is a grace of the open door. And that people, you make people feel comfortable 
when they enter these doors. Hospitable, gentle, and just. And then finally, this last section, um, I, I've called it that he must have a proper relationship to the world. Um, to the world's things, free from the love of money, not unduly fond of gain, a lover of the good. You know, guys, I could summarize that up in, in, in just saying this, and I think it'll communicate. What are your business ethics like? Because people who love money and are unduly fond of gain and don't love, their businesses are going to reflect it. The way they conduct their business and their jobs are going to reflect it. Am I constantly trying to make another extra buck? Because if you are, ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest that that man should never be placed in the office of elder. Um, you know, a love of money just leads to all kinds of questionable behaviors, doesn't it? People become greedy. And those of you who I think are in the bond and stock world, I think you would affirm this, that ugly things can come when people love money. Then, not only a right relationship with the world's things, but a right relationship with the world's people. They're blameless, above reproach, uh, without re That all means the same thing, of good reputation before those who are outside. What, what do your business associates say about you? I ain't doing business with that fellow. What are they saying about you? Is there, um, do you see the need of having a good testimony when people hear about you? You mean that guy's an elder in your church? Ugh. Because there has to be a good relationship with the world's things and the world's occupants. Now, guys, having heard all of that, there is a temptation, I think, to despair. Because if that's all the qualifications, then there's no one qualified. You're right. You're right. But I, you must keep in mind that God is not... He's not demanding perfection. If he de demanded perfection in anything, none of us would be right related to him. But he's demanding a quality of life that says, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't have it, but I want it. And another reason that I just want to suggest that the standards are so high it's because God loves his people. They are the apple of his eye. He gave his son for them. And he's a lot more concerned about you than I am. He's a lot more concerned about the health and well-being of his people than any senior pastor. Which, again, is a foreign concept of the New Testament. But before he gets ready to entrust his people to anybody, he sets the standards as high as he can get them to make sure that you are properly ministered to. You know what? He should have used angels. But he didn't. He uses us fallen people. I want to say one other thing, and I'll shut up. There's a lot of things that could be said about this subject. 
and, and they probably will in the coming months. A lot of things. <laughs> there's, there's some real exciting modifications going on in the life and health of the leadership of this church. It's just exciting. But I think I at least need to say this much as I close. Jesus Christ is the only senior pastor you ever want. He's the only head of this church, ladies and gentlemen. You know, um, the fact that some of you think of Gracie Van and even call it Jimmy Young's church. I had a lady said to me this, this week, and she said, would you mind if I do that in your church? And I thought, what have I done? What have I done to you? Have, have I communicated that this is my church? Did I? Please accept my apology. It is not my church. And I need to repent of the sin that has communicated that to you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. And one of these days when I'm healthier, I'm going to tell you all about it. But the man that you call Dr. Young has gone through a terrible summer. A terrible summer. And I think God gave me a terrible summer because he wouldn't give me a heart attack. And he gave me a terrible summer so that I would get my little hiney out of the role of being senior. Jesus must be enthroned in his rightful place, the head of the church, the head of this church. And any other arrangement must be a nice spiritual club. But it is not the church. And we're simply asking you to seek him through the light of his word before you put anything on this card. Let's pray. Father, uh, I do confess my sin, and I pray that you will um, prevent Gracie Van from being hurt any more than I have perhaps hurt her by steering her away from a biblical model for church government. And I pray that more and more Gracie Van will pursue what it means to do church New Testament style. I thank you for the elders that you've given us, and I pray that you will give us more. And I pray, Lord God, that as we as a congregation nominate for this sacred office, that we will simply have eyes to see the men that you have already appointed. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. I neglected to tell you one thing. This, um, this I think, will help you as we guide, as you're guided. We have five openings for eldership. Five men will be elected in December.